You can go ahead and have a seat. Welcome uh, officially to the Capitol Church. If this is your first time or first time in a while, uh, really glad that you're here. As always, um, I feel like this uh, hopefully is a really safe place, a really good place for you to be uh, coming off the best week of your life, coming off the worst week of your life, even the best day or the worst day. Um, I, have a, I have a good friend who at one point uh, in his life had some difficult things happen. His dad actually committed suicide and he walked in as a teenager, walked in, found his dad having done that and uh, it turned him into a really angry guy, a guy with a lot of questions and and so he would just, as he got older, he would go to the bars and kind of drink pain and emotions away. Uh, and while he was there in one of those bars at one time, he got into a fight and then got put in jail. And he got released from jail on a Sunday morning and thought to himself, I think this is the time that people go to church. I think, I think when I get to moments like these, when I hit rock bottom, I think this is a time a lot of people go to church. And, and if your story is similar and you show up here like, I'm not even sure what goes on here. I'm not sure who's actually in this room. I just feel like I'm at rock bottom and I'm trying to figure things out. Uh, this is a safe place for you. If you're coming off a great week where there's been lots of celebration and you feel like you're in a good space, this is a good place for you as well. Good days, bad days, good weeks, bad weeks. Uh, we think this is a safe place, even a warm and welcoming place for you wherever you're at. Uh, we're coming off uh, a, a couple big weeks. Really, last week was Easter, so obviously that's a big week here. Uh, but in the last few weeks, we've baptized 16 people here, which uh, we love that. We, we love celebrating that. We, we want to continue to see that. Uh, so if you at any point want to get baptized, we've got stuff uh, on our website. Even uh, people out of the Connect table can help you. We would literally set up the whole thing. Get that, that water nice and warm. Put it out here. Have a towel waiting for you. We do that for one person. So if you ever want to get baptized, uh, we, would, we would just love to be part of that. And so we've had 16 baptized the last couple weeks. Um, we're also coming off, uh, obviously, a holiday that we celebrate. So a lot, a lot happened in the past worthy of celebration. Uh, next week, there's uh, something interesting happening. We are uh, commissioning six of our college students who are going to be spending their summer overseas uh, and so want you to be part of that. We'll, we'll bring them up here. We'll pray for them, send them out. A lot, a lot of good things happening. Uh, but one of the things, uh, obviously with Easter being last week, one of the things we celebrate as followers of Jesus in Easter, collectively as a church and as individuals, is not just the life and death of Jesus, although yes and amen to that. We are going to celebrate that. But Easter is primarily drawing our attention to the resurrection of Jesus. And interestingly enough, if the resurrection doesn't happen, then all of this is a joke. Like Jesus himself, most of all, is a joke. The message of Jesus is a joke. The movement of Christianity is a joke. In fact, one of the most prominent people in the Bible, and really the history of Christianity, who wrote a lot of the Bible, says this if the resurrection doesn't happen. He says, if our hope in Jesus is only for this life, we are more to be pitied than anybody in the world. In other words, if everything we believe about Jesus is just about his life and his death, and then he died like everybody else, then we're a joke and should be pitied by the world. But if the resurrection did happen, if Jesus is who he said he was, then that completely changes the narrative completely. If he did raise from the dead, as crazy as that may sound, and I think that does sound crazy, 
then it changes the narrative from being a joke to being the most important story in the history of the world. What I want to do for us this morning is take us to a place in the Bible that comes right on Easter Sunday. So last week, we, we looked at Jesus and the thief on the cross and ultimately what his resurrection means and does in the life of humanity. And then here this morning, I want us to even pick up the story on that Sunday night and take us to a pretty important place that I think will add value into your life, regardless of your belief system, where you're at coming in here this morning. I think a story like this can bring a lot of value in your life. And so if you have a Bible with you and you're interested, John 20 is the best place for you to turn. If you don't have a Bible, um, it is my job to keep you where you need to be. So no worries about that. Um, I've mentioned before that I am from just outside of Scranton, Pennsylvania, uh, grew up there, and every time I say that, you can probably imagine the reaction that it gets. Um, usually, if you're like 40 and below, it's a pretty predictable reaction of like, no way, the office, and it's like, yeah, I, I always have to address that. Every time I say, oh, you know, grew up outside of Scranton. What's been surprising is that the generations even above 40 also know about the office, and so I get the same reaction regardless of like, who you are and what generation you were born in. It's always a connection to the office. And being somebody from Scranton, that's all we have. Uh, we don't have cool things. We don't have great sports teams. Uh, we just have the fact that the office was actually filmed in LA, but just said it was Scranton. That's all we have. In fact, uh, if you're even a big fan of the office, there's nowhere for you to go in Scranton uh, to like go to a cool place. It's like, no, it wasn't even filmed here. You could go to the Welcome to Scranton sign and that's like literally it. Um, but there was a day years ago when I was in high school, uh, the, the office was coming out like in, in weekly rhythms, if you've ever watched TV that, that way. When episodes come out, like one at a time, one per week. Uh, and being from there, I didn't realize that The Office was a big deal. I wasn't even watching it. I had no idea. It's like I knew there was a show called that. I knew it was based in Scranton, but I wasn't actually keeping up with it or watching it. In my senior year of high school, uh, on one of the nights that they had a new episode, uh, I, I got a text from one of my friends, and the text was something along the lines of, hey man, you were just on The Office. And I immediately read that, and I'm like, I don't understand what the joke is, because clearly I wasn't. Um, that's filmed in LA. I obviously was never in LA, and I've never been filmed as a part of The Office. And then I started to get another couple texts throughout the evening, uh, all from the same friend group that was like, hey man, you were on The Office. And so I'm starting to think to myself, this is like a coordinated effort. I'm not sure what the punchline's gonna be. I'm not sure like why they're even doing this. I didn't believe it at all until it was authenticated by me getting more texts throughout the night uh, from different people in different groups, people who didn't even know each other. It was like that person has never met that person. They're in completely different circles and they're saying the same thing. So this is either the most coordinated prank in the history of the world or something's going on here. And so I investigate with a very trusted friend. I'm like, hey, what is happening? How come I keep getting these text messages? And he tells me, if you're familiar with the show, that there's an episode where Daryl, if, you, if you're not familiar, it's no big deal. Um, Daryl is like holding a newspaper uh, from the Scranton Times sports section, and it's just my picture on the front of the sports section. And so am I in it? No. Um, but like kind of in technically. I, I used to get introduced new places and it was like, hey, this is Luke, he was on The Office and people freak out and it's like, not really. Um, in fact, you can even maybe look at that newspaper and it's like, 
you can kind of tell it's me, but you'd have to know the original picture to then be able to like place me in there. Uh, anyways, it, the, the story for me was like, this isn't funny, and I don't even think it's like realistic. It's not even a believable story to trying to trace down the authentication of it to actually find something that believing may seem unbelievable. Here's where we're at, really, in the history of Jesus. After he's killed and then raises from the dead, he appears 13 different occasions, and these people in these groups are actually named. There's writers in the Bible where it's important to the writers to give names of people in names of groups because this story sounds insane. It sounds made up. It doesn't sound like you could authenticate it. And so they say, no, no, Jesus showed up to these people with these names in these locations. If you don't believe it, just go ask them. Ask them what they saw. Ask them what they felt. Ask them their experience with Jesus. They want to put names on the table to find authentication. Like, like, I know this sounds made up, but don't just take my word for it and what I saw. Here are some names, and here are some places, and here are some people that you can go to and ask what they saw. Jesus is showing up to people starting when John 20 really picks up. Now, I want to do something a little bit different here this morning. I want to start at the end of John 20 and then work our way back. And here's why. The writer of this book is a guy named John who might have been the closest friend that Jesus had while he was here on earth. One of the closest friends and followers, for sure, of Jesus was this guy named John. And he writes this book for particular reasons, and he gives us that reason right at the end of John 20. And so we don't, it's not in mystery. We don't have to guess. He's gonna tell us what he's up to, and then we're gonna enter into a story here in John 20. Here, here's what it says in verses 30 and 31 of John 20. It says the disciples, who's a close friend group of Jesus, they saw Jesus do many other miraculous signs in additions to the ones recorded in this book. Like Jesus has done things and they've seen it and they've been a part of it. But not everything that Jesus did or said is gonna be found in the book of John. He's telling us that. There's a lot to him everything's not gonna be recorded, verse 31, but these are written so that you may continue to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing in him, you will have life by the power of his name. In other words, I could have said a whole lot of things about Jesus that I remember. I walked with him. I slept in the same location that he did. I've heard him say some things. I've heard him teach some things. I've watched him do all kinds of miraculous stuff. And I can't fill with all of the volumes in the world all that Jesus has done. And so I'm just going to tell you about a few things. And the purpose of every single thing he says in the book of John is for his readers to be able to see Jesus the way that he's seen him and for Jesus to change their lives in the way that he's changed his life. This is what he's up to. So everything in this book holds a ton of weight. But, but this book is a little bit different than other biographies and memoirs. Right now, the top five biographies, uh, I don't know if you've read any of these, Green Lights, the story of Matthew McConaughey, that, that's like really high on the list. If you're, if you're gonna get the audio version, which I do, um, and I would suggest, uh, six hours and 42 minutes will take you through that book. Uh, Spare is number two, a story of Prince Harry, 15 hours, 39 minutes. 
Uh, I'm glad my mom died, which is a very interesting story. It, it actually, just the title caught my attention. I've not read it, but Jeanette McCurdy, six hours, 26 minutes. Can't hurt me, story of David Goggins. I, I've talked about him plenty of times from this stage. 13 hours, 37 minutes in Becoming by Michelle Obama, 19 hours and three minutes. All of these biographies and memoirs cover decades of time, decades of stories. The book of John on audio would take two hours and three minutes, not speeding up the audio reading at all, and covers only historically 21 days in the life of Jesus, which means John has sifted through memories and stories and teachings and cool phrases that Jesus has given for years, and he narrowed all of that down to two hours worth of stories and content. I can see him like, like in a room, sifting through stories, setting some aside, pinning some up on the wall, writing more notes, setting other things aside, drawing connections and all these words to say, man, I only have two hours. I only have 21 chapters. What am I gonna fill this with? And he concludes everything with what we have in the book of John. So every story he gives holds a lot of weight for maybe the closest friend of Jesus. And he tells a story about another friend of his and another close friend of Jesus's whose story for thousands of years has been attached to the concept of doubt. In fact, many people, when they think of doubt or look for doubt in the Bible, they're gonna find this guy in this story. In John 20, verse 19, let's enter into the story Here's what it says. That Sunday evening, literally Easter Sunday night, Jesus has just been killed a couple days before. And that Sunday evening, the disciples were meeting behind locked doors because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders. Suddenly, Jesus was standing there among them. Peace be with you, he said. So Jesus is brutally killed maybe 48 hours before this moment. And so there, there's a bunch of powerful people who have obviously gotten together, they've captured Jesus, they've crucified him, and anybody now associated with Jesus is in danger. And so these guys, they're aware that their leader, Jesus, has just been killed, and so they go into these dark and quiet, secluded rooms, they lock the doors, because if they're found and have association to Jesus, they're going to kill them too. This is our situation, very serious, when Jesus shows up. Out of nowhere, verse 20, as he spoke, Jesus showed them the wounds in his hands and his side. They were filled with joy when they saw the Lord. Again, he said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. Then he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, they're forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. So the closest friends and followers of Jesus, often called the disciples, have this encounter with Jesus that changes everything. They, they walk into this room on Sunday night, disappointed and discouraged, unsure what they're gonna do with their life because their leader, the one they put all of their eggs into the basket of following him has been crucified 48 hours earlier. They're now in danger. They're being searched for to be killed as well. They enter into the room like that and then Jesus beams himself through a locked door in their presence and changes everything for them. In fact, it's this group of people in this room, these men 
and women who will leave this room so empowered by what they saw and resurrected Jesus, every single one of them will lay their life down in the future, getting the message of who Jesus is and what he's done for humanity into as many hands as possible. This moment, seeing resurrected Jesus, they go from discouraged to empowered, like life stolen from them to life empowering moments from here and into the future. But somebody was missing from this room. All of his close friends and followers were not actually there. Verse 24. One of the 12 disciples, Thomas, nicknamed the twin, was not with the others when Jesus came. They told him, we, we've seen the Lord. But he replied, I, I won't believe it unless I see the nail wounds in his hands, put my fingers in them, and place my hand in the wounds on his side. You, you can understand where Thomas is at. He's not in the room, but he comes back into this room that when he left, they were discouraged and afraid, and he comes back into the room, and there's a different vibe in there. And when he gets in there, they say, hey, man, you missed it. But Jesus beamed himself through here. He's alive. He showed us the wounds that he had from his crucifixion. He, like, breathed the Holy Spirit on us, and then he left. We can understand Thomas being like, what's the joke? Like, of course I'm not going to believe that. That doesn't sound believable. It sounds beyond my ability to generate this story. I can see him, like, maybe checking some drinks, uh, you know, trying to figure out, like, well, why are you guys coordinating this? This is the, the, the person that I, I was following, and he is killed. It's not funny to joke about this. He doesn't buy it. And I can understand why, because this story for many people is literally unbelievable, can see him being like, yeah, I, I just, I don't know. I don't know about that. Verse 26, eight days later, this group of disciples, they were together again, and this time Thomas was with them. The doors were locked, but suddenly, as before, Jesus was standing among them. Peace be with you, he said. Really similar situation, except Thomas is there this time. Verse 27, then he said to Thomas, put your finger here. Look at my hands. Put your hand in my wound, in my side. Don't be faithless any longer. Believe. Now, it's interesting to me that Jesus shows up the first time, and it feels important to Jesus to call attention even into that room of his wounds and his hands and his side. He lets the disciples know in the first encounter, like, hey, this is resurrected Jesus, and if you don't believe that, touch my wounds. You, you saw me killed. You saw the nails driven into my hands. Look at them. You saw a spear in my side. Find that. He does that the first time, and so when he shows up the second time, he does the same thing to Thomas to say, hey, man, I, I, I understand. This is not a believable thing unless I'm actually here. Like, I can understand how you, how you would not believe somebody's story about this. So, so I'm here. Look at my hands. Look at my side. What do you need? I'm here in the flesh. And so Thomas responds, my Lord and my God, he exclaimed. And then Jesus told him, you believe because you have seen me. Blessed are those who believe without seeing me. Now, traditionally, this story has led, for thousands of years, Thomas to be referred to as Doubting Thomas. In fact, again, most people, uh, if you want to investigate doubt in the Bible, which is, which is a worthy investigation, 
A lot of times, if you're like Googling doubt in the Bible, it's going to draw you to this story. For thousands of years, the label given to Thomas is that he is doubting Thomas. He didn't buy the resurrection of Jesus. He's more of a realist. Like, unless I see that with my own eyes, I'm not sure I can buy what seems unbelievable. I think there are a few things to say about this. First, Thomas gets time-stamped. Like, he gets associated for the rest of his life and for generations to come by one moment in his life. He says one sentence, and that's a timestamp. That's who he is now, and that's who he's always going to be. And I want to say we as a people, especially if you're a follower of Jesus, need to not be people who timestamp other people. I mean, how would you like to get a nickname from a moment you aren't proud of? A nickname that comes from a story that you're tired of telling and you're tired of hearing? How would you like to get a nickname from your greatest mistake or your failure? How would you like other people to get a quick snapshot of a moment in your life and then classify you by that moment for the rest of your life? Followers of Jesus more than anybody should not timestamp another person. That is to assign who they are and who they will always be from a moment of their life. Followers of Jesus, more than anybody, should know that people are not destinations, they're traveling. People are not static, they're changing. And I'll show you this in the life of Thomas. He gets a nickname and a reputation from what he says here in John 20, but he also says something pretty powerful in John 11 that doesn't get the airtime. Jesus, at this point, is being pursued by people for for, man, weeks and months, religiously powerful people were trying to find Jesus and his followers and to kill them. And at this point in John 11, they're in a city and Jesus is doing his thing. He's racking up a whole bunch of followers and these powerful people are tracking them down, are literally hunting Jesus and his followers. And so they escape and they leave to go to another city. And when they get to another city, Jesus says to his friends and followers, hey, a good friend of mine has just died. Why don't we go back to the city where we're being hunted because I want to interact with that family? Understandably, his close friends and followers are like, are you crazy? We just escaped there. They're all trying to kill us. They know who we are. They would know we're coming. It's not a good idea. And it's Thomas who steps forward in that moment and says this, let's go with Jesus that we may die with him. Literally days and weeks before he gets the label of doubting Thomas, he says to a group of people, like, if they're going to kill Jesus, they can kill me too because I'm with him. I will walk this road with Jesus to the end. I so believe in who he is and his mission here on earth that if they kill him, they might as well kill me too because I'm with him. He says this weeks before doubting Thomas gets his reputation and yet that gets no airtime. Let me talk about The future, after this moment that changes everything for Thomas to see resurrected Jesus, after this moment, he goes to modern day India to bring the message of who Jesus is and what he's done for humanity. He brings that to modern day India and so many people are compelled by the story of Jesus that Thomas is telling from what he physically saw. They're so compelled by his story that so many people are becoming followers of Jesus that other religious leaders in India just run him with a spear and kill him right then and there. He's changing the culture of continents in new cities and new countries because of what he's saying about what he saw in resurrected Jesus. 
He goes on from this moment in doubting Thomas, so believing who Jesus is and what he's done. He leaves this room and literally changes countries and cities with the message of Jesus, and yet for thousands of years, this is doubting Thomas. This is the one who didn't believe. This is the one who needed evidence. Doubting Thomas as a nickname had to feel unfair. No matter what he did any other time, no matter what he said in any other moments, no matter what he even did with his life from this point forward, he was always going to be the one who doubted. He was going to be time-stamped. This is who you were at this moment, therefore that's who you're always going to be from here on out. I can imagine him walking into rooms and hearing that nickname. I can imagine him hearing through friends what other people think of this moment. I can imagine him wondering what people know and what they think about what they know. I can imagine him wanting to be free of that label that was handed to him from one moment in his life. But thankfully, Thomas's relationship with Jesus was nothing like this. Thankfully, Jesus wasn't inexperienced with labels. He was the boy who was born outside of marriage. He was the kid from nowhere important. He was from a low-income family and then took a low-income career. He was the powerful one who couldn't save himself. He was the king who died alone. He was the one who claimed to be God and yet died by crucifixion. Jesus had his labels too. He had people who talked about him too. He had people who gossiped about him. He had people talk behind his back. He had people time-stamping him. But this is not how he treated Thomas, and this is not how he treats humanity. You see, it's Jesus who takes labels that we want to shake, labels that we maybe even believe about ourselves that leaves us to, to not have peace and to not have joy and to not have confidence. He takes labels and he changes them. He takes labels that can be true in some rooms and make them eternally not true. He takes labels like doubter and broken and burdened, cheater, hurting, unwelcomed, unwanted, unclean, unapproved, underappreciated, unlovable, too much to handle, too far gone, worthless, untalented, lazy, unlovable, unattractive, insignificant, misunderstood, used, hopeless, and on and on we can go. And he hands out labels that are now eternally different. He takes labels that can quite literally steal life from people. And he hands out labels that can never be changed. Labels like accepted and adopted and approved, alive, beloved, blessed, chosen, called, child, changed, delivered, enough, forgiven, free, included, justified, loved, not alone, not ashamed, not abandoned, not condemned, qualified, redeemed, righteous, rescued, ransomed, reconciled, transformed, victorious, washed, and on and on we can go. I think there are some people who walk in here with some labels and you wanna walk out of here with new ones. I think there are some people that are concerned what's being whispered about them behind their back. You're even concerned about the history that you've lived and the feelings about your mistakes and your sin. You've labeled yourself in a way that's difficult to wake up in the morning and to deal with life. I think there are people who can walk in here with some labels and leave those labels here and walk out with new ones. I think there are people who walked in here with labels given to them by Jesus in a way they have yet to step into and actually live in light of. 
I think this list of labels, it's not just like, man, good news to assent to. This is like, they're yours to find joy in, to live in light of, to rest in, like approved and accepted in Jesus. You feel like you have to perform or work to gain your labels all the time? You feel like you're constantly exhausted trying to be accepted and approved in groups of people. And yet Jesus says, no, no, I know your history. I know your worst days and your greatest mistakes and all of your sin. And yet I'm offering you accepted and approved in a way that can never be stolen. Like you can leave all that other stuff here and walk out accepted and approved. Forgiven and free. You don't have to be burdened by your past and your sin. Not condemned and in." redeemed. Jesus isn't disappointed in you. He isn't mad at you. He doesn't condemn you. He enters your story and redeems it. See, Jesus walks into this dark room with people that are terrified, and his scars told a story. His scars told a story that transformed the room, and I'm saying our scars can tell a story too. I walk in here with a past I walk in here with labels. I walk in here with stories I don't want told and I don't want to hear. My scars can tell a story of transformation as well. I walk in here with labels and yet Jesus is a new label maker. Hands out life changing, life altering, life transforming labels that are yours forever. They don't change based on your performance or the season. You have them. They're available to you. Now, we're coming off a big week for followers of Jesus in Easter. And there's a reason I wanted to go here after last week, because it is the resurrection that changed everything for Thomas. He heard from his closest friends and followers, hey, there's something about Jesus that you missed a week ago. Like Jesus has done some crazy things and you missed seeing him, and Thomas was like, I don't know, I don't buy it, and Jesus showed back up, and it changed everything. His belief in what he saw, his belief in Jesus, it went from something to assent to, like, I can follow this guy based upon his life, and now I will lay my life down based upon his resurrection. It's the resurrection that changed everything. He walks into a room as a doubter, but he leaves ready and willing to give his life for other people to know the Jesus that has changed him. This is his story. These are his scars. If you believe in the resurrection of Jesus, if you believe the seemingly unbelievable, then it changes everything. The resurrection of Jesus means that who he claimed to be is actually who he was. It means the sinner he came to save can actually be saved. It means the labels you walked in with can stay here and you can leave with new ones. It means the labels you already have, you can start living and finding joy and life in. I can imagine the peace that somebody like Thomas would have every time he came face to face with that doubting label. I can imagine him hearing that in rooms hearing of a reputation, and while at times maybe being discouraging, also having a peace that can never be stolen because while he is a doubter and was a doubter, he's now accepted and approved, forgiven and free. Not condemned, but loved. You can imagine every time he's faced with a label that's discouraging and disappointing, maybe even embarrassing. 
quickly after that label, he can be reminded of new labels. It can't be stolen. A bad season and a bad performance and a bad evening and a bad morning has no effect on the labels Jesus hands out. It's just a matter of, are we going to be people, one, who take new labels and leave the old ones here, or are we going to be people who actually leave like those labels are true? It's not just some like, man, some Christian phrasing that's supposed to lead people to find some type of joy, and then you can say them in prayers, you can write them on you know, your notebooks or make it a little screensaver on your phone. They're not just labels for you to assent to. They're labels that are actually given to transform you, to transform how you see you, to transform how you see other people. It would be hard for somebody who has difficult labels that they've exchanged for the ones of Jesus walking around and time stamping other people. But to say, yeah, they might have been that person here People are always a journey, not a destination. They're always moving. They're not static. This is the reputation of Thomas, changed and transformed, so much so that he couldn't stand the idea of other people in new places not having access to the Jesus that he knows, and that's changed him. Those labels have stayed with him for literally thousands of years. And I'm here to say, I have them too, and yet I also have some other labels given to me in Jesus, and it's a battle every single day for me to remind myself of my labels and live as if those are actually true. Let me pray and ask God to draw us into the right labels and allow us to live like those are actually true. Father, uh, it is crazy to look at a story like Thomas it's crazy to think of that room and all the emotions and all of the thoughts and the feelings that would have went into that room when Jesus shows up, shows him his wounds and shows him his scars. God, thank you for people like Thomas to empower us who feel like realists to, to give us a voice and a character when we feel ourselves doubting. God, thank you for new labels that can't be stolen. Thank you for new labels that can bring life and peace and joy. Would you allow everybody in this room to walk out of here without the labels that are untrue? Allow people the freedom and the lack of burden to leave here without the labels they came in carrying and leave here actually finding joy, life-transforming joy in the labels that you hand out because of Jesus Father, we love you, and we're so grateful for all that comes with Jesus, and it's in his name that we pray, amen.